Hey, I'm Mike Joseph, and thank you for listening to Detoxicity, a show by men, about men, but for everyone. I hope you enjoy the content of this podcast, and I want to let you know about a few things you can do to support us and our mission to challenge traditional notions of masculinity and create a more communicative, positive, and loving environment for all. You can subscribe to Detoxicity on any podcast platform that you use to listen. We are available just about everywhere. Also, don't hesitate to rate and comment as these help us move up in the podcast rankings. I'm on social media, or at least I'm on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Feel free to drop me a follow. Now I have a Patreon page, yay! And uh, Patreon gives you the opportunity to get cool merch and exclusive episodes of this podcast in exchange for subscribing. Go to patreon.com slash detoxicitypod to find out more. Uh, finally, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, whether you found an episode of the podcast particularly enjoyable or enlightening, or you know someone who'd be a great guest, or you'd like to offer constructive criticism, or if you yourself would like to be on the podcast, hit me up. Reach out to me at one of the aforementioned social media channels, or if you're old school like I am, drop me an email, detoxpod at gmail.com. Thank you for listening, and take care. Christopher Lovestone is a certified sex educator and author of the book Conscious Cock, The Empowered Sexuality Manual for Men, Healthy Masculinity, Sex Education, and Intimacy Tools. And the title of that book pretty much explains everything that we're going to talk about during this episode of the podcast. It covers a lot of topics inside and outside of the bedroom that are good goalposts to achieve better relationships with partners, sexual and otherwise. Clear and intentional communication, taking care of your body, being creative, and those are all very transferable topics. Let's hear what Christopher has to say about applying them. And also, he shares his own story, which you will definitely want to hear. Check it out. I'm Christopher Lovestone. I'm a sex educator and intimacy educator. I primarily work with heterosexual guys, helping them to overcome the challenges that they experience in their relationships with women. And I pitch for long-term relationship success. I'm not a dating coach. I'm not a hookup coach. I don't do any of those types of strategies or stuff like that. And it's really, it's a merger of multiple different fronts simultaneously, including uh, communication tools and understanding women and then increasing sex education, modern sex ed, not like sex ed from 20 years ago, which was just say no. And then at last, at the very end, after I, I, I taught those things, then I teach sex technique. Because guys really want to know, how do I give my woman more orgasms? Or how do I give her more pleasure? Or how do I last longer in bed? How can I be more powerful? But honestly, if you don't have the communication techniques and you don't understand women first, then just teaching the pleasure techniques is kind of hollow. So yeah, when I looked at who should I focus my teachings on, because they really can apply to any human, I thought, man, heterosexual guys, they're the guys that need the most help in, in modern culture. Like the LGBTQ community, they're pretty much up to speed on consent and boundaries and, and, and stuff like this. I would push against that. Oh, okay. In my experience, then yeah. I'll say it that way. They're up to speed on what is patriarchy? What is the dominant culture? What is colonialism? Stuff like that. But a lot of heterosexual guys aren't. I definitely agree that heterosexual guys probably need a little bit more education in terms of those things. You know, Having been largely socialized as a gay male, I would say that there are a lot of queer men out there that have issues with consent. So I think it's an ongoing conversation to be had with everyone. 
Right on. Um, and even the folks who are, are up on their game need refreshers. Situations can be different. It's all variable, right? So I'm curious, what about this work appeals to you? What made you say, hey, this is something that I want to do? Man, it turned out to be you know, 40 years of soul searching to decode what is my unique passion in the world. Like, what's my unique gift in the world? Right. And I grew up really with a lot of shame and guilt about sexuality. I had a lot of programming from mother culture and my family and my community, you know, just the only behind closed doors and pleasure is bad. We don't talk about that stuff, all these things. That, but over the years, I finally was scratching away. There's something under the surface inside of me that wants to come out. What is this inner passion that I have that isn't necessarily acceptable to everybody else? And as I kept chipping away at that, I uncovered, man, I want to talk about sex. <laughs> I want to talk about communication tools and relationships. I want to talk about why 95% of marriages in, in the United States fail. Why is that? Let's put that under a microscope and talk about that. Why aren't people able to get what they want? Man, that's interesting. Like We all want pleasure, I think. I would say most people want pleasure. Most people want love. Most people want connection. You, know, you can't just be a lone wolf forever. We need to have some interconnectedness. And stuff. So how can we like systematize that? Because guys like systems. We like instruction manuals, right? <laughs> we like knowing how a machine works. But if we could just do the math and get to the bottom line, like, then, then that's great. We can follow in the footsteps that somebody else has blazed. So um, I just kind of finally merged my passions of, I was going to be a doctor. So I have a background in anatomy and physiology and also education. And I said, I don't want to be a teacher and I don't want to be a doctor. So what do I want to do? Well, this passion here about relationships and sex and the body and stuff like that. Like, okay, yeah, sex education. This is it. Like intimacy education. And also communication tools. Right? Let's mm -hmm. talk about our programming and uncover some patterns that we have that we don't necessarily even know that we've got that aren't serving us and are causing problems over and over again. You, you ever see that cycle of I'm in a relationship for three years and I break up and then I get another relationship and I'm in it for three years and I break up? A lot of people have that. Well, we can analyze that and we can change some things so we don't keep repeating those cycles. There's so much to unpack. Yeah. And I sort of want to start at the beginning. I'm okay. going to go out on a limb and I'm going to assume that you and I are probably about the same age. So we probably grew up with very similar sex education discussions, yeah. which for me was kind of like, Nothing almost. It was mm -hmm. whatever messaging you got from the media. And then for one week out of the year in school, in health class, there would be a sex education discussion. That and how was, did that go? Right. That was generally focused <laughs> how on- How did you feel in that class? Awkward as hell, first hey, of Awkward all. as hell, right? Yeah. Not awkward. empowered. Right. Yeah. And I don't know that when I was a preteen or an early teenager, I even had the vocabulary to ask the questions I wanted to ask. But so much of the dialogue around sex for, I can only speak for Generation X, for people of that generation and certainly generations before and maybe even the generation after are, are focused around things like shame almost. Like why you shouldn't want pleasure. You shouldn't communicate. I mean, communication is a whole other story. And I think that there's a discussion to be had about that, those skills not really being taught. But everything is so centered around shame and disgust and being recoiling almost. I, I, how do you even 
get to the point where you realize that and you realize that you want to kind of break that method of thinking? A lot of times it happens in a breakdown, like a breakdown of a relationship, a divorce or cheating. You're like cruising in the bathrooms, whatever it might be. You're looking for something that you don't have. And it's a behavior that is unacceptable to anybody in your community, but you're doing it on the down low, right? You're getting your need met because you've got your need because you feel it in your gut. I got to have more passionate sex. I need to have more partners, whatever the hell the thing might be. But then it breaks your relationship or relationships crumble or it causes a problem in your workplace or in your community or your church or something like that. Oftentimes these cracks are the spots that let us see a little bit of light through. Oh, there's something deeper here. I agreed. It's interesting to me because I, I experienced it over the course of my life. Again, the uh, not being taught communication. You know, first time I heard anybody talking about loving their body, right? Loving touching themselves, loving touching others. I was probably in my late 20s or 30s. Um, and again, I think this shame culture stunts so much growth. Oh, yeah. And also when you still have those feelings and you're taught to repress them or at least not discuss them. Mm-hmm. And ultimately they come out in ways that confuse you and also are potentially not the most healthy ways for that stuff to come out. So I guess, how do we change the narrative? What do we need to do as humans, as parents, as friends, as lovers? How do we change the narrative? That's a great question. It's really difficult nowadays because of the prevalence of, of porn. I'm going to say porn that is miseducation, right? And everybody looks to it. and Even subconsciously, they just imbibe what they see. And in some ways, it affects our sense of what is normal in between people when they're having sex, making love, fucking, etc. It's a distortion. They're actors, right? The penises that you see are not average normal size, right? Like They're just not, man. And that's not how people necessarily make love. There's no intro. There's no warm. I don't know. It's not good sex ed, but it's more prevalent than good sex ed is. More people have access to porn. Way way more people have access to porn. Everybody has access to it. And they're actors, they're professionals. They're trying to make money. So that skews our views on things. So we have an uphill battle now that you and I didn't have when we were, let's say, 13. Right? It didn't exist back then. So the landscape has shifted. And honestly, the step number one is is that the focus on communication tools, self-awareness tools. Is there a desire that you have in yourself that isn't getting met in your life? Actually being able to own that to yourself first is the first step. Yeah, there's something that I want. and I feel a lot of shame about it. It's not acceptable to my parents or my partner or partners or anybody, but that's part of me. It's like integrating that you have that desire. Maybe that desire is more freedom. Maybe that desire is more exploration, more pleasure, self-touch. I don't know, whatever it might be, it doesn't matter. But actually accepting it, (laughs) actually allowing yourself to own the fact that you have that is really a key first step. You know, oh man, I really want to be with a guy or, oh man, I really want to be in a group, whatever the thing might be. actually allowing yourself to say, yeah, that's part of me. And you don't have to communicate it to anybody necessarily, but just that first step is actually making peace with it. Right. Then from there, if you learn some communication tools about how to have a good conversation with somebody with the highest 
possible chance of success. You can't control everything. You can't control their reaction. They might just react like a teenager <laughs> and just go all three-year-old tantrum all over you. You can't control that, but you can set the stage for the highest likelihood of success and do everything right from your end so that you can actually breathe into the fact that you did it, did your best. There's nothing better you could have done. And wow, if they're having a tantrum, that's their shit, right? So, so owning it and learning some communication tools about how to set the safe space and present it to give yourself the highest likelihood of success. Those are the things that we should be teaching in sex ed. Let's have a conversation about these things that are difficult topics. How do we have a conversation about challenging topics? man, I don't want to do this thing that you're pressuring me to do. I don't like this pressure, but I would be willing to do this other thing. That other thing makes me feel safe and good. I, I think you can extrapolate that into any other subtopic, right? Yeah. Communication about difficult topics is hard. And generally speaking, when you are negotiating a sexual relationship, there's got to be a conversation about what you want, what your partner wants, what you're willing to do, what your partner's willing to do. Oh. There have to be conversations around enthusiastic consent, which means different things to every single person involved. Within a relationship, there have to be conversations about frequency and all that other stuff. And we as a society are just not set up where we have the tools to talk mm -hmm. to one another, honestly, on a regular yeah. basis. Right. And the time to do it is not after you're making out and you're heading for the bedroom. Right. Everybody's like, I'm not going to have the conversation about the fact that let's say you have a personal requirement that for in penetrative sex, you want to use condoms. Let's say you have that as a requirement. Like it's a non-negotiable. You need to have condoms if you're going to have penetrative sex. That's just your rule for self-care or whatever. And you need to tell that to the other person or have a conversation about that, or at least make sure that it's okay with them too. But leaving that for the bedroom is not the time to talk about it. That kills the mood. It takes you into your head rather than in your sensory pleasure body and the passion of the moment. So it doesn't have to take long to have these conversations. You could do it in five or 10 minutes. And the time to do it is when you're like, I don't know, on a walk or having a cup of coffee with them or in the restaurant. And the thing is that we can flip the script on it, man. It doesn't have to be a thing of stress and anxiety. You can actually make it something that's flirty and fun. And when you do that, the other person is like, wow, this person's playful. Wow, we can talk about things that normally aren't acceptable to talk about. I feel more comfortable. And that fosters alignment, right? It brings you closer together. It makes a higher probability of success, right? But we don't see that anywhere. You don't see it in movies. <laughs> Maybe on a few shows in Netflix, you're starting to see it. There's right. some sex positive shows in Netflix. Gwyneth Paltrow's Sex Goop Lab and Sex Education. There's a few other ones in there. Yeah. Like modeling this new style the, of authenticity. The narrative is slowly changing. Shifting gears very slightly. Okay. To... Over the course of the time that I've done this podcast, I've talked to a fair amount of guys about body acceptance and body shame, and I'm not a woman, so I don't necessarily know what the education about that is. I feel as though, personally, my just sort of uneducated theory is that women are taught to appreciate their bodies much more than men are. Ah, okay. And I don't think that 
guys are really taught body acceptance. And I will say that with full knowledge that women are subject to beauty standards that are fucking ridiculous. <laughs> but I don't think men are really taught to appreciate their bodies, take care of themselves necessarily, whether that means hygiene or fashion, whatever it is. And we haven't even brought up your book, but there is a lot of information in your book about that kind of stuff. And I'm just curious, how did that manifest itself for you? Man, instantly my mind goes to statistics about depression and mental health for men. When you look at the numbers, it's, it's depressing. Can I say yeah. that? The statistics about depression are depressing because like the alcoholism, uh, drug use, or misuse, things that are out of balance, right? That we're, we're, we're not actually happy with ourselves. And that is just an effect of so many things in modern culture. Like how many images do we see of the alpha male with the six pack abs? It, that's everywhere. When you're walking down the street in the city, you see all the billboards of the hot 20 something who's with the hot woman who's also 20. And how we're never going to be that. Or being that is a full time job. Like when you see a fitness model, that's their profession. Man. They're doing that 40 hours a week for their right. life to look like that. We're not going to do And then when you have, talk about penis size, it is a massive issue for guys. I mean, how many of us have been in a locker room when we were, I don't know, let's say eight years old to 13 years old and the other kids were fucking jerks and made some comments about us that stuck with us or there was something that happened uh, could, could involve abuse or harassment and, and it, it sticks with us and we internalize that shit because we have no one to talk with about it. We can never get it out of our bodies or right. it's hard to get out of our bodies. So it is a fucking conundrum. <laughs> my, my way to deal with it has been actually finding spaces where I can talk about this stuff with other guys, which is an uncommon behavior that we're not taught. Because you don't want to be, quote unquote, I'm going to put air quotes here, a fucking pussy. Pardon right. me if it's not okay to swear in your podcast. It but is 100% okay to swear on my podcast. People say, you're being a fucking pussy. Right. And that is so degrading. Nobody wants to be that, right? And uh, I could go off on another tangent about how <laughs> we call people a dick. Oh, you're such a fucking dick. Oh, don't be a pussy, right? These things, we're talking about our sexual organs. I'm just going to go on this tangent for a second, yeah. right? We talk about our sexual organs either clinically, okay, you got a penis, you have a vagina, right? You have, either have clinical or derogatory. Now, in other languages, they have words of um, adoration and veneration of appreciation for the genitals because the genitals are at the source of all life. And the genitals bring us amazing pleasure, maybe more than any other parts of our body. So, wow, isn't that a positive thing? Oh, my God. Right? So, we in the English language don't have any positive words for our genitals. So, only being able to reference our genitals in terms of a derogatory term, don't be a fucking pussy. Come on. Pussies are amazing. Right. As a heterosexual guy, oh, my God, pussies are a wonderland. And hey, there's so much pleasure to be had there for everybody. And the same thing with the penis. It is the source of all life. That is right. where life comes from. Everybody says, oh, women are the bringers of life. Well, hello, that seed comes from the man. We are the fathers of life. And some people would say that's sacred. Some people would say that's holy. If you have a sense of spirituality or if you're religious. Now, some people aren't. Maybe they're atheistic or just non-religious, whatever it might be. But still, there's so much pleasure there. There's some magic that happens when you bring life into the world. There's power that's mystic. 
Anyway, I go on these tangents because we have limited options available to us, both in terms of our way of seeing the world in the first place. It's either clinical or derogatory. We have no other options. And then we have no spaces to talk about the fact that this jerk in my gym class in the locker room really fucking hurt me. And I feel scarred for life and I don't want to be seen naked in front of anybody now. Right? I would add to that. I think a lot of the asking questions and being inquisitive, particularly when it comes to matters of sex in the body and doing it around other men, not only might get you tagged with the pussy label, which in what you said is completely correct. Like, if the goal of every straight guy is to get pussy and you're calling somebody a pussy, aren't you kind of contradicting yourself? Yeah, it doesn't add up. The math right. doesn't hold. Yep. But to complete my point, the other thing that I think guys are just as afraid of, if not more afraid of, than being called a pussy is being called a faggot. Yeah. And again, false narrative that being sensitive and asking questions and being inquisitive and being vulnerable or speaking to other guys about things like pleasure in the body is somehow gay when it's not if you're a guy you suck another guy's it, dick yeah that's gay asking <laughs> questions about the body not gay at all okay. human right, right. Yeah. right. no matter what your gender is or how you feel it's just human yeah the ugh, faggot is so derogatory it still is so derogatory although you know i've had so many gay friends that call each other faggot and it's a positive I, fun thing right but that's yeah. different you know, I mean, that's we're talking a, about a reclamation guys of the word, right? Or guys that are are so disconnected from their sexuality, repressed that they, they just can't even. No, I, I can't even handle putting my arm around another guy and walking down the street with him. And when you go to Europe, that's the common behavior: Italy, <laughs> Spain, France. Guys are friendly with each other; they're more touchy, and they're not less masculine, right? They're not less heterosexual; they're just comfortable. Like, but we see. A shift of that narrative, luckily, in places like football teams and baseball teams, you know, in sports teams where guys are working together, they're playing this game, right? They've got a container in which they can relax that resistance to that type of comfort with other guys with their bodies. And they'll spank each other. You'll see how many football players you see spank each spank other on each the other football Spank each other on the ass. Right. Yeah. Are they faggots? No, they're straight, but they're comfortable being I mean, playful we don't, with each other. We don't know what I'm their sexual saying. orientation is. You're we presume right. they're straight. Um, but my theory is also that very few people are actually straight. So that's a whole other conversation. Totally, right? right. When um, we relax our resistances to labels of faggot and gay or straight or bi, like the, then we allow ourselves more exploration, more flexibility. But there's so many judgments that come at us from everybody in our community that unless we have a safe space to be able to do that, it could be perilous to our relationships, our profession, our standing and our community, et cetera. So knowing who you can talk to, having safe spaces is so important. So anybody who might listen to your podcast, if there's something inside of them that's like, oh, a clarity or a, a desire that they feel as a need, they need to find a safe space first, right. someone they can talk to about it. That's the first step. I agree. Having any possibility of making any progress towards that thing is to have a safe space to discuss it with somebody. Absolutely. You talked a little while ago about the personification of the ideal male, you know, the ripped muscles, the six pack, the young dude, whatever. Right. And look, I'm in okay shape. I have no desire to attain a six pack. 
I don't want ripped muscles. I want to be healthy. But that is, for a lot of folks, an unattainable goal. And you are correct. Some people are naturally fit in that way, but the majority of dudes are going to the gym and working out for hours on end to attain that type of physique. And also, at a certain point, you're not 26 anymore. Your body's going to go through whatever physical changes it goes through. I think there is a sense, and I guess this kind of splits off into two things. Okay. As you age, your body changes, and every gender has to contend with that. But also, as relationships age, maybe passion isn't so much there anymore, or passion isn't foregrounded. Communication isn't necessarily foregrounded. Kids might enter the picture. Other things happen, like... When you meet somebody for the first time, right? You go on a couple of dates, there's this electricity, there's this NRE, all this stuff is happening. And over a year, five years, 10 years, 20 years, things shift, right? What suggestions would you make for people who are trying to figure out how to still keep that carnal passion, particularly in their relationships as those relationships age and they age as well? Oh, that's such a great question. And thank you for asking it. There's so many things there in my inner medical doctor, you know, the doctor that lives inside of me, although I never got my MD, (laughs) wants to talk about some stuff there in terms of hormones and the cocktails that occur in our body. And also then we're talking about relationship strategies and techniques, right? So that you can keep the spice alive, et cetera. Stay engaged, right? Stay interested in each other. Um, Just one thing I want to mention right off the top, just from a biological self-care perspective is that over time for men, our prostate hardens. As guys go into what we call andropause, which is the equivalent of menopause for women, when our hormonal profile or constellation of hormones shifts in our bodies and our hair goes white and we don't have so much testosterone in our bodies anymore, we have a tendency for the prostate to harden and go into prostate cancer. The the prostate grows and hardens. It gets hard like wood. It gets really painful. It can get painful to the urine and we can get cancer from it. It, It's really prevalent. So the one thing that I've seen that addresses that proactive way to address that is to have regular orgasms, ejaculatory orgasms regularly your entire life. So I just want to encourage guys, masturbate, (laughs) come. In in your 40s, 50s, 60s, it becomes super important. Pelvic floor health. (laughs) No, seriously, the the pelvic floor muscles, we talk about kegels for women so that they keep tonicity, strength, flexibility in their vaginal muscles. It's as important for guys, specifically for their prostate. So at least have one orgasm a week, guys. Like in the shower, you know, make yourself calm. Use whatever you need to use just for your own health. Take care of yourself. I will say, as I'm thinking about this, I'm almost incapable of rationalizing the idea that as an adult male, I can go more than a week without an orgasm. I literally do not think I've gone more than a week without an orgasm since I was 11 years old. Well, good um, prostate health is hopefully I mean, in your future. Hopefully. You know? Yeah. you know, so when I talk to people, sometimes they're like, oh, yeah, I haven't come in like a month or something like that. I'm like, yeah. I don't know. Maybe. Well, there's I- a medical reason to talk about that. Okay, well, if you don't do that, the plumbing kind of hardens and solidifies, right? And we don't want that. It's painful, guys. It hurts. And if you have to get an operation on your prostate, what place in your body would you not want an operation more than that deep 
center of your genitalia, your prostate. Like you don't want to get kicked in the nuts. You don't want to get an operation on your prostate. Like, anyway, um, but to return to your questions about how do you keep a relationship spicy and hot? Well, all you can do is control your half of the equation or your part of the equation. You can't control what they do, but you can have conversations with them, telling them how you feel, what you want, what you'd like to move towards in your relationship. You'd like some more of this thing over here and give them opportunities, invitations to, to do those things with you and say that if we don't do those things, that's going to have an effect on me. And maybe I'm kind of depressed about it. Like maybe can I have some avenue in our relationship to get those needs met in some other way if you don't want to do them with me? Just basically looking at a relationship like a dance. Like let's say tango or salsa, you know, these partner dances, right? Where two people are dancing together arm in arm really closely. You have to be step by step with the other partner engaged with them. And if they back away, you're supposed to step towards them. And if you back away, they're supposed to step towards you so that you maintain this, this engagement with each other. And we've got this funny thing in North America and a lot of countries of the world where we have a period in our relationship called engagement. I'm engaged. But then you get married, standard narrative, right? And the engagement ends. Now, wait a minute. Just talking about our language, why would you ever want to stop being engaged actively and dynamically engaged with your partner? If you stop being engaged, then what happens? Well, things are stagnant. If you're not engaged, maybe you go apart. But if you stay engaged, maybe your needs are going to change over time because you're a human being and you're alive. Right. Right. The path of being alive, some people have said, is the, the process of becoming inversed, reversed. Over time, maybe you believe the opposite of what you used to believe. Maybe 10 years from now, you don't feel the same way that you used to feel. You change. That's part of being alive. And if we get involved in a relationship where we limit the other person, to, they always have to stay the same or else we're not going to be happy, then that's prison cell. Right. But if we have a more, uh, I'm going to say open relationship. Now, I don't mean sexually open. I don't mean multiple partners. I mean a relationship that's more open to shifting and dynamic change where you have the permission from your partner to grow and change and evolve, have new and shifting interests. And you also give that permission to your partner or partners. Then that gives this landscape of being able to stay engaged so that you can have a shifting landscape of eroticism. You know, maybe you liked heels and fishnets, but now you don't. Now you like leather and whips, you know, to have the permission to be in a dance that you co-negotiate gives this a possibility of staying hot. But if you stay locked in this, you've got to stay the same as you were when I uh, got in a relationship with you, whenever that was. And if you ever change, it's not okay with me. Then something's going to break because we do change because we're alive. We're human beings. We're human. Yeah. We shift. Yes. Is to continue to evolve. You don't want to stay the same person you were when you were 18. God, no. <laughs> I want to get better and evolve and change and get richer and, and more interesting and dynamic and know myself better. Right? It's illogical to me. You know, a, a, a standard thing that I hear said a lot is this person isn't the person that I married. They're not the person that no. you married. Because time has changed and we are evolving beings. And look, again, I can only speak for myself. The person I was five years ago is not the same person I I mean, right. Molecularly, I'm the same person, but I've learned a lot. I've experienced things that have changed my thinking or disrupted my thinking in some ways. And I think that happens to everybody. We all are works in progress. Exactly. So let's have a relationship that allows that to exist. Exactly. (laughs) Then you can have the fire continue. You have a possibility for it to continue. Yes. 
Absolutely. But you have to keep falling in love with the new person that shows up today. Right. And also yeah. understand the changes that are happening in yourself and how that might affect the person that you are in the relationship. Oh, totally. Yeah. What, what if per you're the person or people you're in a relationship with just get really depressed and they just start eating terrible food and they get really unhealthy, start having medical problems. Maybe you're not attracted to them anymore. Physically, the chemistry is gone. That's reality for you. Right. How do you handle that? What do you do? Hmm. You know, if you have a relationship where you can be engaged about it, maybe there's a way that you can be supportive and also say the things about your needs that aren't getting met and create a conversation about that. So maybe you can move in the direction of getting those needs met. It's, it's difficult and challenging, but it takes two <laughs> at least. At least, know. yes. <laughs> But I think it's difficult and challenging, but it's also super rewarding. Yeah. Stupid metaphor. You can't win unless you play the game, right? Uh -huh. So you have to engage in order to get any results. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of guys that I've seen get really bitter after a divorce. Let's say they got raked over the coals by their now ex-wife and they lost the house and the kids and the car and half of their salary and they're just really bitter about women, right? I've seen them turn to, to, to sex workers. In common language in North America, we would say prostitution, no, whores, yeah, although yeah. those are derogatory and shouldn't really be used. Sex workers. And then it, it fosters this whole other pathway that I've seen degenerate into these kind of, this kind of cesspool energy that isn't healthy. They're not actually having a relationship anymore, but they're getting their needs met. And I don't know, it can cause a lot of harm and damage. It's really yeah. important how we care for ourselves and what options we choose to get our needs fulfilled and how we choose to interact with the world. What would you suggest for a person that is in that situation where they've just gotten through a really bitter breakup or divorce and maybe are extrapolating the way that they feel about this particular woman uh -huh. into all women, which we do see a lot. Thank you for asking the question. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. Okay, if you go to a sex worker who's just waiting for a pickup on the corner or who is working at a massage parlor or a casino, one of these places, you're not going to get certain needs met that I see these guys having. But if you go to a professional who's trained in intimacy education and consent and boundaries and touch to help us feel <laughs> safe and move through things rather than just perpetuating patterns of, uh, I'm going to say ownership, culture, colonialism, domination, like white guy hires a woman and he uses her and he discards her, that kind of stuff. You know, so if you go to certified sexological body worker, if you've never heard this term, maybe take a note of it, certified sexological body worker or a somatic sex educator or a sacred intimate. These are all certified professions that people go to school to study and they very well may have penetrative sex with you. Or if you have a certain desire, like I want to do this certain thing, but I've never had a partner who would be willing to do it with me or a space where I could do it. Maybe it's kinky. You can tell them I want to do this thing. I've never had a place to do it. These people are educated in being able to meet you there without anybody getting hurt, but they're professionals and you pay them. So at the end, it's a transaction. They got what they needed. They have their boundaries. You honor their boundaries and they got paid what they needed to be paid for it. So it's clean. There's no 
strings attached, but you get what you need. And maybe you need a little bit of heart in that connection because your heart's broken because your ex-wife raked you over the fucking coals and you need somebody who's going to help you. And maybe you fucking cry. And maybe that's what you need. Maybe you're not just a jerk who just needs to use and discard women. Maybe there's something in there that needs intimacy and touch and pleasure and healing. Well, if you go to a certified sexological body worker or somatic sex educator or sacred intimate and you have the conversations, it's a decent intake to work with somebody, especially if you're a new client. You can't be a jerk. They're not going to take you. You can actually move through this stuff and get the, these inner needs met as well as your physical needs met. I love that. And I hope that if there are any men listening who feel like that is a good option for them, take them up on the option. To me, it's kind of like psychology, right? And therapy. We need to make things like this more well-known, affordable, and acceptable to the average person. Mm -hmm. You know, as we're talking, I'm like, shit, I hope we're not just preaching to the choir. Um, How so? What do you mean? Who's the choir in this? The choir is people who already have more developed ideas of what masculinity is and what relationships are and have already gotten to a place where they're doing some of the work. Something I think about a lot is how do we, do I, and then if I'm not, how do I reach the people who have not started doing the work but might want to? Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's, that's a hard thing. Yeah. And I have no way of quantifying whether this podcast or the other work I do is doing that or not. I hope it is. Um, but going back to the uh, sex work discussion, I feel like there's probably some guy listening who's like, you know what? This all sounds super difficult. I'm just going to drive around the corner and pick some chick up because it's easier and cheaper. I've just seen a lot of those guys continue that pattern and eventually get to a place of imploding. That's all. So when we started our discussion, I said, okay, when something breaks down and we get a crack, sometimes some light comes through. Those are the moments where there's a possibility to change right there. So yeah, that's fine. And if he's getting his needs met and she's okay and nobody's getting harmed, awesome, in my opinion. Or it's all good in my opinion. But if it keeps going for a while and then he starts to feel like some, I don't know, sense of hollowness or ah, disinterest or he's losing the drive for it, then that's the crack in there showing him there's some other need that he has other than just that physical getting off with with sex that, that needs addressed. Right. In order for him to be healthy or be integrated or, or something like that. I, going back to the aging discussion, I'm thinking now, I, there's not a lot of narrative in the world, certainly not in Western culture, about people who are elderly still being sexual beings. And they're having so much sex, it's ridiculous. Right. <laughs> like, they have the time. Yes. You know, the kids and are I'm, out. <laughs> like, right. on. And, and I'm thinking Smokey Robinson, who is 83 years old, has an album out now called Gasms. And okay. People are cracking jokes about it because they're like, who is this old man talking about giving somebody gasms? But I'm like, it's not like for everybody to drive stops at a certain age. It might increase or decrease. Um, And there's also, I think, the sense that people who are elderly are maybe not conventionally attractive. Again, it's just expanding the narrative to allow for all of these different things to be. There's so much there. One thing that's been helpful to me as I've learned it is to to understand how much experience we get with time. For example, they say that a mastership is obtained in 10,000 hours of practice. 
let's say you, you play a drum, a hand drum or a drum kit or something like that, or a guitar or whatever instrument. If you practice that for 10,000 hours, you achieve mastery. That's a common thing. And I've, I've seen it to be pretty true. When I've seen somebody who practices anything for 10,000 hours or 10,000 times, they're fucking masters, man. They really are. Uh, they're not beginners or intermediates. Like, yeah, <laughs> they, they really achieved they have done the damn thing. Right. Yes. So let's talk about somebody who's 83 years old. Let's say they've been having sex since they were 13. That's 70 years of having sex. And let's say that it's been fairly consistent. That might be fucking mastery. They might have more tools in your, their toolkit than you could even know exist. Right? So how many years do you practice something? Now, they're not going to have the stamina of a 15-year-old boy whose testosterone is through the fucking through the roof. roof. Right. But they've got more tools in their toolkit, and they're probably going to last a hell of a lot longer <laughs> in bed right. than that 15-year-old boy who's got six-pack abs and his testosterone through the roof. So there's something there. Respecting our elders, I think, has some basis in this concept of Somebody with more experience, more years of experience in something probably is got more tools in their toolkit that are sharper than yours, right? If they've been regularly practicing. Yeah. So to flip that slightly, for those of us who deal with ED or issues where the equipment doesn't do the same things it did when we were 22 at yeah. 42, 52, 62, or 72... You know, I'm thinking about my personal experience, like I'm diabetic, I have pretty severe anxiety, and that has caused some issues in me potentially being able to penetrate. Mm -hmm. You know, this isn't me just saying I have a friend and it's really me. This is me actually having a friend who is maybe a little bit older than me, but also has pretty severe ED issues due to health problems, and that person's partners have actually ended the relationships because of that. Yeah. And then that leads to oh, that hard. person being demoralized yeah, totally. and not wanting to pursue relationships. I think part of the answer, which we've already talked about, is just being communicative about those things. But what have you seen in your work that has dealt with things like ED and just body changes as, yeah, as totally. we age? It's, it's absolutely fucking real, man. And it's something we, got, we don't talk about. And we feel so much shame. It's so possible to feel so much shame about our sexual performance or ability or inability to get it up or how hard or softer our erections are or how big our cock gets or doesn't. So there's absolutely dietary and lifestyle choices that we can make to affect our sexual capacities, our ability to get hard, how hard or soft we get our control over our erections there absolutely are diet absolutely a shitty diet of just saturated fats all the time leads to degradation in erection quality i mean right? like degradation it, but a, health, a lot of things <laughs> just general cardiovascular health like do, can you run for five minutes or not right how good is your heart that also is directly related to our erectile strength and our ability to hold an erection get an erection when we want it achieve orgasm so there's diet and lifestyle choices, absolutely. There's also exercises that a lot of people can do. Doing Kegel exercises, squeezing the muscle that you squeeze when you want to stop peeing. There's a practices that you can do exercising that muscle there repeatedly to strengthen it, just like you would do curls with a dumbbell or barbell to strengthen your biceps. And these are accessible to anybody, but you don't want to overdo it because you'll hurt yourself. 
You can hurt your cock by doing too many kegels too hard, being too aggressive, too like American go, go, go mindset. <laughs> so it helps to learn from somebody who teaches it in a healthy, balanced way that's not going to hurt you. So there are lifestyle choices, dietary choices, and exercises that we can do. But if you just can't get it up, maybe you've got advanced diabetes and there's nothing you can do with lifestyle anymore. Like you're already past the threshold and there's no turning back. There's dildos that are actually fun. Okay. There's strap on dildos that a guy can put over his penis. They're hollow in the center. Sometimes they're called sheaths or extenders. And I've played with them. They're just a toy, man. Right. It's a toy like a vibrator or handcuffs or any toy. If you can give yourself permission to play with a toy and ask, invite your partner to play with the toy with you and kind of make it fun and lighthearted. Don't take everything too fucking seriously. Right. And say, hey, I want to try this out. Maybe it'll be fun. Maybe it won't. Maybe it'll feel good. Maybe we'll throw it away afterwards and say, fuck that. Never again. But hey, would you be willing to try something with me? It might be fun, right? I've tried it and I'm an average size penis. Just the bell curve. <laughs> yes. Captain 50%, man. I am right in the fucking middle. And I was like, okay, well, I'd like to feel what it's like to have a big dick. So I, I was like, okay, let's try one of these things. And I got one that added like two inches to the girth and two inches to the length and i put it on and i was like whoa whoa i am all that is mad look at my big dick well you know women do it with the wonder bra right push-ups right? and right and then stuff. they look yeah. in the mirror and they like a lot of women i know are like wow i love how i look and they feel better about themselves going out on that special event date night and it was the same thing with this for me i felt better it was cool. I felt like, this is great. Wow, look at my dick. And maybe I was soft and I could, well, it didn't matter. I had this dildo on. So even though I was soft inside, the dildo was still erect enough to have penetrative right. intercourse. So it helped in multiple ways. And then when I was having sex, I was like, wow, I'm the guy with the big dick. This is fucking awesome. Look at me. Rah, you know. And I got to feel that even though I'm captain 50%. <laughs> so I got to add that tool to my toolkit, man. Right. Now I've got this extra tool. Right. And, you know, I was in COVID. I wasn't able to get it up very much. I got sick in, with COVID and I, I had like not long COVID, but it took me a while to get back to normal. But I still wanted sex and intimacy while I was recovering. And it fucking helped. Right. So there's things you can do with your lifestyle and exercises you can do, but there's also toys. <laughs> and can you know? we add, even beyond the toys, there are mouths, there are tongues, there are fingers. There well, there's are... a whole other tool. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. And one thing you brought up that I think really needs to be said is that sex is not a chore. And I'm not just saying this for myself. I think this is applicable to everybody. Sex should be fun. It's play. You're not taking a test. You're not performing a duty. You're not cleaning a, a bookshelf. You're enjoying a time of intimacy and play and fun with a person or persons and you should be able to laugh and make mistakes and be joyful and playful. And I, I don't think a lot of people totally get that. Okay. Those spaces, those experiences, those containers are wonderful. Okay. But it might not be your reality today and you might not know how to get there. Right. So being able to have a conversation about, you know, maybe that you're not having much libido right now. Like, ah, I'm, sorry, I'm just not feeling it. Being able to kind of have a conversation about that and then make a plan 
to create a space, like set a date on the calendar. Okay, Friday night, just you and me, we're getting a babysitter and we're going to stay home and we're just going to spend some time together. Maybe but we're going to do something special or maybe it's not stay home. Maybe it's go out to a hotel. So you get out of your environment where there's dishes and laundry and chores and stuff like that. You go to us and you create a set and setting to be the container and you light some candles and you get a massage video and you're like, okay, let's massage each other. And that helps you get into your bodies and out of your heads. And it's, it feels really good to have oil stroked up your spine, right? Your, your shoulders, right? And then you're like, oh, okay, this is nice to feel each other. And then you switch and then you're getting a massage too, maybe. Um, you got some candles on these very tiny little steps. Maybe you get a new outfit to wear a nice, crisp, clean, new shirt, you know, something shift the energy, right? If you create the container and, and do some things like set the candles out, maybe do some massage, get a new up, album yeah. to listen to something yes. different, Play right? some like, music. Uh, the, yeah. maybe some incense. If you like something like that or perfume yes. or cologne, you know, whatever it is that you enjoy. Okay, make a plan to have a space where you do those things, even if you're not really feeling it yet, do it anyway. Do it anyway. Go out and have the delicious three-course dinner that costs more, <laughs> that has the beautiful chef creation that actually wakes up your taste palate rather than the same old, same old, and get into your pleasure body. You create that space. That's the container where you have a higher likelihood of the yummy intimacy, the generosity flowing in both directions between both of you you have to create the, the the special place if you have no libido or you've gotten beaten down by being in a relationship for 20 years and it's just kind of the same old routine every day you got to make a special place for it where you can lock the door yeah <laughs> right like the dog's not going to come in or whatever it is right <laughs> maybe you get a, a couple's massage where there's two tables and one of you's on each table and, and it's kind of erotic like oh wow we're doing something edgy we're naked in this room with two other people whoa that's weird right <laughs> whatever oh my, do something oh my goodness oh yeah. my goodness <laughs> yes yes yeah. you make yeah. a space for it you make a plan for that even if it feels like wow this is awkward when you do it the energy shifts and then it feels more natural. And then, oh, you get some pleasure and some needs fulfilled. And you're like, oh, maybe I want to do that again. Or maybe let's do this other thing next time. Let's go to the spa with the hot tub. Whatever it might be that is pleasurable. What's pleasurable to you? And make a plan for that. Right. Absolutely. And there are ways to do that that don't even necessarily involve a lot of money. You can do the candles, do the incense, play some music. Spotify is free. Yeah. And even just in terms of going back to the beginning of the conversation, we we're talking about things like taking care of your body and your hygiene. Again, you don't have to have the ripped abs or anything like that, but you can cut your nose hairs. You can clip your ear hairs. You can shape your beard up. You can cut your toenails. You can do all this stuff that not only proves that you're taking care of yourself, but shows your partner that you are making an effort to take care of yourself. Definitely. I and would say... Get some new underwear fruit. too. Yes, yeah. Brand nobody, new underwear. Nobody you know, like wants some to cool fuck. thing. Right. And I'm a very yep. t-shirt and jeans kind of dude, but I don't want to fuck a new some dude. You know? Right. I don't want to fuck a dude with like holes in his briefs. You know Brown, what I'm saying? Old, dirty, white. Some pride in your appearance communicates to your partner that you take value in yourself, and that's yeah. attractive. Yeah. Clean your fingernails. Well, Wouldn't you stuff. like your partner to do that? If they're taking care of themselves, they're more attractive to you. Right. So, yeah, it goes both ways. Right. Right. So. Here's a final question. Okay. For Christopher's journey, your personal journey, what has been the most difficult thing to contend with? You might still be contending with it. You might have kind of leveled up, but in terms of your own personal journey of sexuality and relationships, what has been the most difficult part for you? 
Well, as a straight guy, straight but not narrow, dealing with women. What, what does that mean exactly? I'm open to bisexuality and gay sex and stuff like that. I'm, open, I'm not like, oh my God, you're a fucking faggot. I'm right. not totally, yeah. But my relationships are with women. <laughs> Hardest part of my journey, being sex positive, open-minded and stuff like this is, is dealing with what I'm going to call the shadow feminine, which is triggering <laughs> when a woman gets triggered in her her cultural programming limitations and shame and then starts acting kind of like sticking daggers in you or turns into Kali or Medusa <laughs> or like ah you know just like the hell hath no fury like a woman scorned I have a problem dealing with that I'm not a master at dealing with that I kind of tend to just say fuck this this is not acceptable so I'm investigating that right now further developing a toolkit to deal with the feminine or the female shadow. I don't really have a good toolkit for that right now. I just say, okay, guys, have a good set of boundaries. Don't sell yourself short, right? But still be loving and engaged. Uh, That's really difficult, right? You can only control your half of the equation or your part of the equation. You can't control what they do. So there's a lot there. Trying to be an expanded, more conscious man in the world and dealing with sex positivity and expanded sexuality can trigger a lot of things. Hurts, traumas prejudices, limitations, self-care stuff. Like, so we're, we're kind of walking in a minefield here and we can only control our actions. So it's challenging. I'm still learning about that. It's tough for a lot yeah. of folks, myself included, having an intention and not being able to fully write the intention because the intention involves multiple people and they all have free will and The script that you write is not necessarily going to work out the way that you want to work out. You want it to work out, and there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to kind of roll with it. Yeah, it's absolutely a work in progress. (laughs) As as we all are, my friend. Yeah, it's a minefield. I'm I'm considering that being my next book. But, oh, man, I'm going to just get whiplashed. I'm going to get flamed so hard if I do that. (laughs) Because no no matter what I say, a lot of people are going to have problems with it. So Everybody's a critic. No matter what you say, no matter what you do, people are going to have, there's going to be someone who opposes. That's the truth. You can only do your best. Dangerous waters, though. (laughs) (laughs) Want to take a second and show appreciation and gratitude to Christopher for taking the time to do this podcast. I appreciate you sharing your insight with us. If you want to get to know more about Christopher Lovestone, go to ConsciousCock.com. C-O-N-S-C-I-O-U-S-C-O-C-K.com. His book obviously is also entitled Conscious Cock. Um, So if, you know, you want to get some insight, some further insight into how to keep your relationship going, uh, Christopher gives some very, very good advice. And if you're queer, there are certainly, or or rather if you're gay, because if you're queer, it could also mean that you're a man having sex with women. Uh, If you are gay, there is plenty of transferable uh, advice given in the book. It might be good for you as well. And if you don't like it, give it to a straight friend. Anyway, thanks again, Christopher. Greatly appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Detoxicity. I hope you found this particular episode interesting. And if you are new, I hope you go back and listen to all of the older episodes. Uh, once again, my name is Mike Joseph. I am the host and producer of this show. And uh, there are a lot of things that you can do to continue to support our mission, continue to support this podcast. Uh, follow me on social media. I am on Instagram, Twitter, and I'm on TikTok as Detox Pod Guy. Uh, You can also send me an email if you'd like. I'm at detoxpod at gmail.com. 
I am always on the hunt for people with interesting, inspirational, and powerful stories. So if you know somebody who fits that bill, or if you yourself fit that bill, please don't hesitate to drop me a line via email or via social media. Uh, Please make sure you subscribe on your podcast platform that you're listening to this on. Uh, Rate, comment, help a brother out, uh, help us move up in the rankings, uh, follow me on social media, like I said, uh, follow our Patreon, or subscribe to my Patreon, actually, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, you get access to exclusive episodes, you get episodes a little earlier than the general public, you get a cool-ass sticker, lots of stuff, once again, patreon.com slash detoxicitypod, quick shout-out to Calvin Williams for providing the music and, uh, doing his magic on the logo which was originally designed by jacob block i thank you all for listening i wish you all the best please take care of each other till next time peace